Hi everyone and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness podcast. I'm your host Ant and you join me today for episode number 121 which is part two of a two-parter series in which I posed a question are we living in a post-truth world? So um, thank you all for uh, listening today. Hope you enjoyed um, part one. Hope you're able to uh, to get something from that. Uh, in this um, second part today, um, I'm going to focus on some specific points in relationship to this notion of truth and why it does appear on the surface, at least, that we're living in this sort of... Uh, hellscape dystopian world where truth is slowly being outlawed as I said um, in the intro to um, part one. So the main points I'm going to cover in today's particular episode are um, I'm going to look at the sort of an enduring an enduring truth that's at the heart of politics and democracy. I'm also going to look at some of the anomalies of what it means to be a truth seeker. I'm going to put pick that sort of phrase apart, the idea of being a truth seeker or seeking truth outside of ourselves, which of course many of us are on that path. I'm also going to look at some of the uh, dimensions or aspects of um, the burden or the, the toll it takes on us individually as human beings and collectively as a society terms of living uh, a lie sorry living life whilst reject rejecting truth because it does have some obviously some very profound implications then I'm going to look at lastly I'm going to look at um, the role of the mainstream media and how they um, distort and subvert the truth and then I'll just um, round up with a with a conclusion so yeah first of all this sort of idea, what I mean by an enduring um, lie at the heart of politics and democracy here in the Western world, is this sort of notion that um, we can carry on as we have been now for, for many decades, in that we're um, constantly giving our power away to authority, to external authority figures in the form of politicians and political institutions and um, bureaucracy and the heart of the issue here and the enduring lie if you like is this sort of belief that we can um, constantly blame the political class or the political establishment for the problems within society we really that ship has sailed now certainly with the new energies on the planet and of course, it um, it sits in the heart of the relationship between both us, the voters, and the government. And it's how we have this sort of veneer, veneer of credibility within mainstream society, whereby we have politics and the politicians, are, we elect the politicians because it is said that they are there to um, try and resolve many of these sort of uh, inherent problems within society whether it's uh, economic or social problems. And it's almost like a, a kind of a contract, really, um, because we're fooled into believing that somehow, eventually, we're going to elect the right people who will finally resolve all these problems. But as we know, many of these pro problems, these structural institutional problems, they reside, they're never going to change sorry, until we look at consciousness consciousness itself which comes down to um, our behaviours at the end of the day and the way we see the world and how we are processing the world how we are processing our our trauma uh, and uh, all the pain that we've suffered throughout life because of course the system wants us to carry on the, the little confidence game and believe that somehow we can continue to give our power away and that anyone who suggests otherwise that, you know, we need to come up with better systems that put consciousness at the centre of any new economic kind of financial system, or I should say systems of governance, they're crazy. To even suggest that would mean, well, we're going to just descend into a Mad Max kind of a dystopian hellscape. But the reason why in recent decades we've seen 
you know, politicians come to the fore, leaders who are just absurd and so obviously um, have ill intent, you know, ill intent for people, um, the likes of, of course, W. Bush and then more uh, recently with um, Biden and, of course, Boris Johnson before he was turfed out here in the UK. The reason why they uh, appear to be less and less credible figures is because the universe or existence is 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 mirroring is like for the purposes of demonstration look this is how stupid things get if you think you can continue the lie that we can perpetually give our power away to external authority figures and that somehow the world's going to going to change and of course um it never is and how the the mainstream media maintains this sort of confidence streak is to fool people into believing that there are just a few bad apples that need to be removed within the system. There's nothing wrong with the system, uh, but they never, within the mainstream media and the political establishment, they'll they'll never admit that nothing's actually actually going to change until we completely change the system. They talk about reform on the edges, and of course naive people swallow this up and they continue to vote um, in elections but you know why is it that the majority of people are taken in by this con trick which means this kind of lie is perpetuated and has been for so for so long why do they still retain hope that we can bring about change positive change by voting um, in elections I think it's partly because if one accepts the truth that all systems of government, governance, I should say, sorry, here in the Western world, at least, because they're the ones that we know about, are completely broken, moribund and compromised, sorry, broken beyond and broken beyond repair. And if we actually came to that uh, understanding there would be a responsibility on our part to, to be part of creating a better system because we really need to start accepting that we're partly responsible we can't just blame the politicians we can't just blame the the illuminati we can't just blame the ashkenazi jews we can't just blame the vatican we can't you know we can't just blame the world economic forum we can't blame you know we go on and on and on um, the blame game really has to stop. And I know it's difficult um, because, as I said before, on discerning consciousness in my episode on the revolution that will not be te televised. Um, when you try and uh, in the past, when the public tried to sort of create alternative um, political parties or political movements, they, um, they uh, completely... They normally end up being subverted. But the situation we're in now, by playing the blame game, is it's that kind of cliche which rings true, like a lot of cliches, is we always get the politicians that we deserve, and that's exactly it. So we get politicians who have no interest in spirituality, they have no interest in consciousness, they, they have no interest in the, the roots of life, they have no interest in understanding themselves they have no interest in things like understanding their unconscious behaviors so we had the worst kind of people entering politics unfortunately but i know it's a hard thing to say <clears throat> but you know i have to say that we're all including me all of us as individuals we're all partly to blame for that we are we can't keep playing playing this blame game and we're in this period now um where a lot of <clears throat> the contradictions and the falsehoods that were once able to be swept under the carpet then it's no longer going to be possible and it's all been it's all part of being in this particular cycle the kali yuga and um we know that we can't step away from these these tr these truths and we can't turn away from <clears throat> excuse me sorry the eternal lie <clears throat> that we can somehow fool ourselves in thinking that there is a group of people who are better than us which as we know is um is absolutely absolutely not the case and i know i'm probably uh <laughs> preaching to the converted here but i think so it's it's um i think it's always um worth well worth pointing this out 
um, even when we are aware of it. And um, a good example of what I'm talking about here in this particular point is here in the UK at the moment. Uh, you may or may not be aware, <clears throat> if you're not from the UK, of course, that uh, a few weeks ago, Boris Johnson was uh, removed from the leader of <clears throat> the Conservative Party and the Prime Minister. And we're now, um, the Conservative Party is in the process of electing a new leader. And it's a very unseemly process uh, where <clears throat> I think originally there was around about nine or ten candidates and it's been whittled down to two. That's Liz Truss, Truss current Foreign Secretary and Rishi Sunak, the, uh, I believe he was um, Chancellor of the Exchequer. He was the one basically who did the dirty on Boris Johnson He and he resigned as the Chancellor. And that, that was kind of like kicked off the process. Then there were um, sort of like uh, mass resignations um, that took place. So it is, as I say, it's a very un, unseemly, um, un, unseemly process. And uh, as you can imagine, the um, candidates on the hustings, <clears throat> when they've been making their points and trying to appeal to the Conservative Party members, because it is... I think it's around about 100,000 Conservative Party members who will ultimately decide, make the decision. And of course, um, none of these uh, candidates, they never talk about the system that we live under. Uh, they're all metaphorically blindfolded and playing dumb. <clears throat> um, but one wonders if they know anything different, really, when, when, when one considers their shocking low of low level of awareness and consciousness. And I know people get very, very angry, don't they, with politicians? And they feel like they're deliberately duping the public and fooling the public. Um, I don't really think that's the case. They're just behaving in a way that demonstrates their level of awareness or, or understanding. So what we've got now, um, which I spoke about, in a recent YouTube video, which I think I called Long Live the King, the King, the King is Dead. So this idea of um, the figurehead is changed, um, but nothing really fundamentally changes. Uh, as as we know, uh, the next uh, incumbent prime minister will be reading off a, um, a well-rehearsed uh, globalist script. And it's very frustrating, obviously, in this instance for people here in the UK, because the voters um, don't play a part in the process. So it's another prime minister that even um, that the electorate haven't had a, you know, haven't, haven't voted upon all the uh, nonsense that that involves as well anyway. But this is how the truth um, about the world we live in is kept secret and protected. Because as we know, the absurdity becomes even more intense with each passing year. And I really do wonder how how much longer we can carry on playing this crazy game of protecting the uncomfortable, enduring truth at all costs. We are we are really reaching uh, a crisis point, especially with the uh, supposed election <coughs> of, of Biden in the, the States. Um, it can't get much more ridiculous, really, in, in the realm of politics and that's why I just wanted to talk about this in relationship to are we living in a post-truth world? Because one of the good things about <clears throat> all the absurdity and the fact that it does feel like we're living in, uh, as I said in part one, a science fiction novel or a kind of amalgamation of science fiction novels and and uh, and movies is we can see it right in front of our eyes now. And yeah, for those of us who have more of an awareness than the Joe public in the street. It's really, really frustrating, but it's like it's not as if people can say they don't know what's going on anymore. And that is the whole point of this particular era, is when everything that was hidden is being, is being brought uh, to the surface. And as we know, when we've um, been through periods of discovering uncomfortable truths, well, as I was talking about in part one, when we've gone through that really difficult process of suffering <clears throat> for the truth, we, we know what a painful process this is. So I think we are going through now, or we in, we are in the midst of a collective dark night of the soul. I know it sounds like something of, something of a cliche, but as each 
year passes and things do become more and more ridiculous on the material plane um, I really do think um, I really do think that's what we're going through so be prepared folks for even more uh, high strangeness <laughs> and I think for many of us it's going to be um, it's going to be difficult because we're going to we're going to we're going to want to uh, run for the hills and just uh, and just escape from this crazy maddening world anyway I think I'll move on now to second point I want to make in this part two episode is um this is something again that all of you will be very much aware of it's kind of like uh, gonna hit home a bit and that's this idea of the sort of um, some of the anomalies of being um, a truth seeker and I think it's important to point out here at the outset is that I mean I've been thinking of this more and more when I was doing the prep for this episode I think from my perspective and I know I've been on this sort of quest since around about 2005 2006 as I've spoken about before went down several rabbit holes in a very very kind of uh, tumultuous intense way I think what I've been searching for and I don't know if this is true for you guys in this sort of quest of being the eternal seeker as I call it what I've been looking for really is is really the truth of myself or the truth within myself rather than the truth of the world out there because as we know um, the external world is just a projection of our own inner world so I think I think that's a really important consideration to, to make that at the end of the day when we're accumulating all of this um, information predominantly online but also from books as well good old-fashioned books um, what we're essentially we are looking for I think is is ourselves and it's a return to what is the fundamentals of our being and our soul and I think in some ways that means that we can give ourselves a break and you know have a day off from searching um, the internet if you like so this is an issue that's close to close to my heart really because we're talking about sort of a resistance movement within society uh, which goes under many names, truthers or, or the alternative media as we know or conspiracy research um, and many of us uh, perhaps are happy to be labelled as truth seekers especially during a time of universal deceit but what is it, what does that actually mean to be a truth seeker and we might have unveiled many shocking hidden truths about the evil and corruption in the world, secret secret controlling groups, plots and their never-ending scheming to keep human consciousness trapped in an unnaturally low level of consciousness. However, it could be in our it could be in our personal lives, um, could be that we are sorry, we're completely um, neglecting that kind of quest for truth in our own personal lives and that we're neglecting truthful living and I think that's the trouble isn't it really um, when we're focused on all of the issues out there all of the control all of the manipulation out there we forget the ways in which we can be cruel we can be manipulative we can be unconscious in our behaviors we can be um, selfish as well and I know I have to hold my hand up that I think, you know, when you when you don the mantle <laughs> of the eternal seeker, as I have, eternal seeker of truth, can become a little bit of a burden in a sense. It's kind of like um, a thirst, if you like, or a hunger that's never really sa satiated. And um, in coming months, I'm going to talk about more about that sort of kind of understanding that I'm coming to now of um sort of slowing down on that path and coming back to center and what that means for me because hopefully some of you guys out there listening you'll be able to relate to it as well because i think it's part of the general um new energies that are uh, amplifying right now in the on the planet that's kind of calling us to come back to center and ju just apply the brakes um, a little bit 
<coughs> excuse me, because in order to be a genuine or sincere seeker of truth, we must un we must integrate it into all aspects of our being, not just the external world. And there is a common trap of confusing the gathering and accumulation of information with the search for truth. <coughs> it can be part of the process, but it isn't an end in and of itself, of course. And personal uh, epiphanies um, can often, or they do often, uh, arise totally spontaneously, not but not necessarily whilst um, filling one's mind with yet more information. It can just be, you know, it might be lying in bed. I probably mentioned this before. Discerning consciousness. So forgive me for re repeating myself, but I think it's well worth repeating. You can just literally be lying in bed at night, and then it just something just. <clears throat> rises to your awareness, to your consciousness, and it's like, oh, oh, right, yeah, that's why that's happening. And it's often when we, or or during a meditation or something like that, where we, um, where we quieten and quieten and still the mind, that we can have uh, epiphanies or profound um, understanding. I think this sort of process, as we mature, it does grow and deepen over time. And it's like a kind of process of integration, really. And as I was just saying, in recent times, I've become less attached to external narratives. And I know certain types of people um, become stuck in what Neil Kramer, as I've said before, what he characterises as the re revealing stage, <clears throat> as I've said before many times. Forgive you. Uh, forgive me for repeating. And it, um, I haven't quite yet, in people in that space, haven't yet quite grasped that it's about their personal journey and the external information it's really just a stage leading to greater and greater <clears throat> expansion of one's consciousness and, I think, and we're all at different levels aren't we on the journey and it's uh, important to be forgiving of others who may be at a different stage because we all get there eventually through many many incarnations as we know um, so the important thing is is not is not to it's not to judge and it's just, just to have an acceptance um, you know of where you are because I think ultimately we're all this sort of the quest of the eternal seeker I think comes down to trying to discover a sense of inner peace uh, and detach from this sort of constant need to know of the truth of what's going on beyond beyond the ridiculous lies and manipulation um, of the mainstream media I mean, personally, I've found it helpful to reflect upon the thought that the world will always be more than likely in state in in a state of disharmony, and there'll always be different factions fighting for control and manipulation, just like there are in any kind of um, corporation. Or if you think back to when you're at school, there's there's always a hierarchy amongst people in the playground. <laughs> when you're in little shorts, there's always someone that wants to control other human human beings and I think we just have to accept that really unfortunately <clears throat> and also another understanding I've come to it that isn't really my role to constantly obsess about something ultimately that I have absolutely zero control over and this I feel there's no guilt or shame in simply accepting the state of the world and that doesn't mean you become you know like a contrarian and suddenly, la, 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 you know, everything's fine in the world. That isn't the point. But based on the journey I've been on, uh, I had to learn the hard way. I had to suffer for the truth. <laughs> and, um, yeah, almost destroyed myself in the misapprehension of thinking that I was responsible somehow for trying to, you know, alleviate the evil on the planet or that I was on this sort of individual quest to find the killer piece of information and then everything would suddenly fall into place and I would have knowledge of the overall grand um, conspiracy. So letting go of the need to know, to the need to, to change the world, you know, that's quite uh, an important thing. And yeah, I had to suffer in quite an extreme way. It was a very intense, uh, visceral experience um, but all part of essential learning. I went to hell and back. I wouldn't wish it on anyone, to be honest. But, um, yeah, sometimes, you know, 
when you are intent upon a particular understanding or meaning then you will drive yourself you will drive that you will drive yourself towards that end really that's where that's you know that's the sort of power that we have it's not that there's outside forces controlling us as much as we are directing our own lives or our own consciousness to work towards a certain end based on how we see the world and based on you know our truths if you like then you know we're going to behave in a certain way um so that's something um that's always uh worthwhile thinking about and why you should should have a you know think have a guardian or a gatekeeper um at the door of your consciousness because it's always um it's always very important to uh, to remember what you are what sort of types of um information you are you are letting into your your consciousness um and your being so i'm just going to move on now so I'm just going to consider now this sort of aspect of um, the burden of um, the burden of living in a life, living a life, or living in a world that is just more and more drowning in the sea of lies, and it's becoming harder and harder. And we can see so many people around us. Unless you're living in some sort of enlightened community, you may well be. Please do contact me. <laughs> and tell me about it i'd love to come along and be a part of that especially now that we can travel but uh, i think for many of us it, that isn't the case and uh, it's quite a burden or cost that uh, we have to pay uh, unfortunately we can't um, avoid it and it does have a deep profound impact on our emotional physical psychological and spiritual um, well-being and of course as individuals, we all have different tolerance levels based on our personality types and life history, etc. And our day and the day to day impact whilst living and operating in normal society, that will vary, um, you know, on an on an individual basis. But it's extremely draining, and it can feel soul crushing when we see so many obvious false falsehoods accepted by those around us, and it can want to make us give up <laughs> and I was saying before run to the hills <laughs> and live in a shack and leave normie land forever and to escape the post-covid clown world apocalypse <laughs> so how do we reconcile ourselves to this situation I think it's helpful uh, to think of the higher meaning we are uh, in an apocalypse right now and in my next episode I will talk a little bit more about that so uh, watch out for that one coming up quite soon hopefully if the if technology allows um so yeah it's the apocalypse which is just a grand revealing as we know the veil is being is being is being wrenched so there's um all that was once hidden is being revealed and it's never a pleasant process but at least many of us have a have a broader context that can prevent your sort of inner defeat setting into our hearts and we know it's an extremely difficult time to be alive for lucid human beings. And it takes it does take some um, comfort up. You know, until a few until a few years ago, um, you know, until a few hundred years ago, people were still being killed. So I think we need to take comfort from the fact that as hard as things are right now. Not. Not much less than 200 years ago, uh, so-called witches, I think the last case might have been in Belgium, was actually murdered for supposedly being a witch. So you know, it wasn't that that many generations back that those of us who are, you know, the heretics, if you like, were, were tortured and murdered. So, you know, they're not coming knocking on our doors yet. Uh, I know many of us who are content content creators are having you know our voice censored but you know that's still not like it was not that many generations ago so i think we need to always be uh, aware of that but we have no choice you know if we want to regard ourselves as spiritual warriors to you know survive 
the best that we can really in the present circumstances. I don't think we have a choice uh, to run away. <clears throat> I think that might be a kind of like a bit of a cowardly thing really. And I'm convinced that far greater challenges than COVID are ahead, but there's nothing to fear. Uh, because I think, you know, we're all in the main quite strong now and a lot more resilient after COVID. And uh, we know all the uh, well-rehearsed tactics by now. So we're, well, we're sort of um, well-hardened soldiers on the battlefield, if you think about it. <clears throat> but for those of a certain type of religious understanding or persuasion, of course, they would say that rejecting the truth is a, is a form of evil. And that is indeed a, a, a disastrous kind of personal implication for those um, who are happy to live in a world of delusion. And no one can say that um, that evil doesn't appear to be on the march, um, whether you're religious or not. We are living in an increasingly uh, perverted world, word, world, sorry, where moral degeneracy is promoted by mainstream culture uh, as being a good thing, and those who reject that are, are uh, characterised as being um, right-wing extremists. But whatever one thinks of this kind of religious dimension, um, I think, as I said in part one, the um, the onus is on us, really like never before, to call out obvious lies and falsehoods, um, irrespective of the consequences. I know that's easy to glibly say on a podcast, podcast, sorry, but when any of us are facing a challenging situation, it takes a lot of courage to deal with the fallout fall out and we are in a time when we're all being called to step up you know to the challenge and uh, sacrifice um, is a large part of that really in a sense and uh, I think also in terms of like this the cost to us as individuals one thinks I mean for those of you who've ever committed adultery or who've who have um, played away from home so to speak whilst in a relationship you know um, the cost of living that lie is, is very very difficult I mean to you know on a personal level um, that's really uh, that's a really difficult thing um, to do and I think that more and more as I said in the intro in part one People are, their, their physical bodies are breaking down now. And I don't think that's necessarily just linked to the fake COVID jab. I think that's also, because if you think of um, sort of each lie of, of falsehood as being like a metaphorical rock that's placed upon a backpack that uh, someone who's um, a living in <coughs> delusion, it's placed on their back. That's something else that they have to kind of deal with in their day-to-day -day lives. And it, and, it, and it affects them. And it means that I think it's far more difficult for them to ever wake up to any kind of truths within society. So it's kind of like the more lies one swallows as an individual, the more one gets kind of consumed by the falsehoods of the system and the kind of the uh, the illusion that we're all living in and then that does have um, profound impacts for one's health really I think it's important to um, to be aware of that I'm just going to move on now to look at the role played by the mainstream media in terms of protecting the uncomfortable truth um, within society in respect of how the world is controlled and manipulated by criminal factions, also known as politicians and the hidden hand. So why why is it an important consideration? Well, the vast majority of people still get all their information about the world uh, events from mainstream sources. And more and more people are switching, although although more and more people are switching off in disgust, uh, in, and we are in the midst of a massive paradigm shift there is um, and there are a lot of uh, 
loss in advertising revenue for the big news networks, mainstream news networks. At the same time, we have to be realistic and recognise that the mainstream still creates consensus reality for many millions of people, if not billions, unfortunately. And they create the hype of the next big thing that the general public then obsess about and talk about. So what techniques do they use? <clears throat> of course, the first one, uh, one springs to mind is repetition, which is a key aspect of uh, any mind control. So when a big, also, sorry, also should I say, when a big news story hits the headlines, the mainstream news networks immediately, they uh, have, an, have an answer. So assumptions are made before any facts have come to light or any official investigations have begun. So this is absolutely critical because the vast majority of people, as I was saying, still get their their worldview from mainstream sources. And uh, although um, the uh, viewing figures are down for networks like Fox and CNN, it still is a very powerful force within society. And uh, I think one of the other main techniques that are used time and time again is and 9-11 is a is a good example of that how they create these sort of simple easy to easy to digest platitudes so if one uh, I call it sort of like bite-sized news so if one thinks of 9-11 immediately we, we had the kind of title America under attack by Al-Qaeda which is all was all at that time pure speculation, but was promoted as being the truth, because generally the 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 public desire uh, quick and easy answers. So, for example, to questions like, why is this happening? This event, who is responsible, and what does it all mean? And the uh, mainstream media provides answers. Um, that are easily repeated amongst the general public. So they just become like platitudes, really, that don't allow for any complexity or or, or nuance. And, yeah, 9-11, of course, is an example, a good example we're all familiar with, where we saw the banner headlines, you know, America under attack. And um, But at the same time, of course, information came to light that on the same day, members of the Bin Laden family uh, were actually flying out of the United States because, of course, um, Bin Laden had uh, a lot of big business interest links uh, with the Bush family. That's a discussion for another episode, of course. Um, so with this sort of demand um, for quick um, bite-size uh, answers, it's almost... The news almost descends into a sort of Hollywood-esque simplicity and it falls into the, as we've seen with the Covid really, sorry to mention that again, but the good versus evil and the good people who have got, gone along and um, queued up for their fake Covid vax against those evil ones who who are the irresponsible citizens who've, who've rejected that. So... In, in turn, this kind of forms a type of psychological closure for the viewing public who tend to lack a capacity for critical thinking and have a childlike trust in authority figures. And this forms part of um, the sort of theory that's gained a lot of population, which I've spoken about in a previous ep episode called the mass formation or the theory of mass formation. So that means that, by extension, any alternative narratives are quickly and easily dismissed. And from the perspective of mainstream society, consensus reality um, means that the truth is known only, <coughs> only, so the truth is quickly established and only a crazy conspiracy theory would question it. So... In this kind of dynam dynamic, the old-style political leftists would kind of gain sucker from believing that 9-11 was a, just a, a blowback theory and a reaction to American and Western imperialism in the Middle East. So, as I've said before, 
<clears throat> those proposing a kind of different narrative are often uh, face insults and name calling and even um, physical um, aggression and uh, people then they believe that they they know what's happened because the mainstream's told them and we're kind of sort of faced with the accusation of well, what gives us the right to question experts on geopolitics or history professors and then we get things of course you may you may well have faced this yourselves ad hominem attacks that have been used to keep the truth hidden things like you know I suppose you also believe that the world is flat and that Bigfoot really exists. Cue mocking laughter, ha 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 ha. And it's never it's never nice to face those kind of um, psychological attacks, to be honest. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, um, we know that we have truth on our side. And the more the attacks increase, along with things like accused, are we accused of having paranoia? I think it just speaks of desperation, really. At the end, of, at the end of the day, and we've also seen in terms of how the media subvert and manipulate the truth, the increase in labels, meaningless labels like the far right, ha ha ha, <laughs> fake news, and. Dangerous new populist movements led by people like the former president, Donald Trump. And really, that's just basically dangerous populist movements. It's just a euphemism for anything that goes against mainstream narratives again. So as a backdrop um, in the movement towards outlawing the truth from 9-11 to COVID-19, I think part of the objective is is to remove basic rights and freedoms that we've always taken for granted in the Western world. And we saw the start of that in the wake of 9-11, the Patriot Act, which was uh, prepared before that actual fateful day. So since then, we've had legislation, more and more legislation aimed at limiting our basic um, freedoms, so to speak, and our ability to speak truth to power. And the mainstream media continues to claim or dismiss the idea that such events are linked in any way, 9-11 and COVID-19. They just still claim that they are completely random, that there is no pattern. And if we claim that there is a pattern, then to make such a claim, um, we're accused of being paranoid fantasists, seeing things that don't actually exist. So this idea of conventional wisdom or consensus reality, uh, everyone knows something uh, to, to be true, um, or people feel that they do, they are in consensus reality. And in this regard, of course, COVID was a, a deadly infectious virus that the World Health Organization sorry, and national governments did it all in their power to stop. And they created in quick time a vaccine that um, has helped to prevent the spread and limit uh, the worst um, effects. And also, of course, if we think of Putin and the situation in Ukraine, Putin, it is said, is a maniac who wants to conquer all of Europe in the Nazi-style um, blitzkrieg. So this is what is regarded, or this kind of perspective, is what uh, is kind of a well-informed citizen that would be their their reality and people like this are often uh, obsessed with watching the news because they feel that they must be well informed it's like a daily ritual and it's common more common i think amongst the old generations because they need to be told what is happening in the world so i feel they kind of lack the confidence and self to be self-belief to discover for themselves what's actually going on on in the world and in you and um, sort of use alternative sources of information and you often hear them say things like oh I haven't heard the news today we, we you know we must uh, we must keep updated because it's a sort of um, almost seen as um, this idea of being intelligent if you keep you keep up with the news we must you must do it and then of course by definition their concept of truth is just what the telly man or telly woman 
um, speaks to them by by reading the teleprompter. And then again, of course, this brings us back to this whole idea of total trust in authority figures. And uh, but you know, when you consider the trauma of growing up, a lot of the older generation in in the wartime years or in the immediate wartime years, when you know, they, they, they saw political figures and the political establishment and here in the UK, the establishment of the welfare state as being what helped them to survive. So I'm not condemning the older generation because I'm sure if I had been born in the 40s or early 50s, I probably would have the main the same mindset. I'm just observing how the political establishment protects the truth from serious investigation. And uh, what happens, I mean, what happens when we do our own investigation into events like 9-11? just want to move on with this point here, so I think it's important to make. It can be difficult to kind of reach a definitive truth, really. I think of it as like a process, and this means that we might move on from a previous understanding or at least update our existing uh, kind of perception of the truth maybe of what happened on, on that fateful day and it can be a real test to follow through the process if we've become emotionally connected to our previous ideas or, or belief system about what happened on that day and I believe that's the difference between holding a belief about something which we tend to have a, an emotional attachment to whereas if we think of it as a knowing doesn't need then a knowing doesn't need to be defended I think it's a more fluid approach to discovering truths about um, earth-shattering events like 9-11. Obviously, it takes some sort of humility and, op and an open-minded approach. But it does ensure that we don't become fixated upon a certain version of events. Uh, and that we're open to modifying uh, our, our interpretation. Because I think that's important if we do just fixate on one particular version of events then we can we can feel that you know oh we've got the definitive truth and uh, we kind of stay stuck in that position and not are not open really to any other kind of perspective because it is when we when you think about it when you have um such a multi-layered event that takes a lot of research to establish the kind of the full picture of what happens we have to accept that our perspective is is going is going to shift uh, sort of over time. So I think we're going to round up this part too, in which I've posed the question: Are we living in a post post sorry truth world? Just round things up by way of a, a brief conclusion. So it does appear as if those who have uh, ill intentions for the future of humanity are close to completing their evil plan or plot to create a post-truth world and a, a world of really kind of satanic inversion, a world turned upside down if you like, where banality and moral degeneracy are, are celebrated and accepted within society. But at the same time it's important to remember all is not lost, there is more to this story. We know that nature constantly seeks balance and human beings are we are an integral part of na nature, so the pendulum will always sling, swing back uh, towards balance. And what we see in the world of physical appearances on the material plane is simply a veneer. And there are far more fascinating and compelling processes that are occurring beyond our very limited perception of reality. And that's not me, I'm again, I'm not going into la la land. <laughs> At least I hope I'm not. I'm not diminishing the suffering, which there is a lot of suffering. And that's what happens when we live in delusion. There's a lot of suffering going on right now uh, as we live through this um, dark night of the soul, of the world's soul. And But just to bring some kind of balance and some hope during these tumultuous times, that sort of phrase or adage... To remember that those who may seem to have to hold sway, whether they're human or not, it's always, I think it's uh, helpful to remember this phrase that 
those whom the gods seek to destroy they send mad first so just remember that there is a there is a bigger a bigger story at play so there is all still to play for and we can honor truth integrity and i think sorry it's important to honor truth and integrity in our day-to-day -day affairs in spite of all the manipulation occurring in in the world and I think we can all do that, as I've said a few times during part one and part two. And we mustn't lose heart and fall into hopelessness. And I know it's different, difficult not to fall into despair at the state of the world and the seeming ease with which the controlling powers appear to be manipulating the general public and dismissing the importance of truth. But I just leave you just with these few words really um, remember that truth is beauty uh, that's why uh, the dark ones are trying to create an ugly distorted inverted world and beauty equals truth and of course remember that love real love not romantic uh, codependent love also equals truth and truth equals love so if you integrate or if we integrate those principles and <clears throat> those enduring truths in our life, then no matter what's going out there, going on out there in the external world, um, you know, I don't think we can go far wrong. And I think these principles will endure for all in all eternity, really. Um, so I just wanted to leave these uh, this particular episode, part two. With some hope, as always, as I like to do on discerning consciousness, these are quite grave and concerning times. So thank you all for listening. Um, I hope you have enjoyed this uh, two-parter in which I've looked at the question, um, are we living in a post-truth world? Of course, if you haven't already listened to part one and you've enjoyed listening to part two, please do um, please do check out part one as well. That'd be, uh, that'd be really good. And, and also, as always, if you could share this particular episode, if you have enjoyed listening to it on your own particular social media platforms, and if you could share it with your friends and family, uh, wherever they might be in the world. So thank you all again, uh, once again, and I'll speak to you all again soon. Bye bye for now.